welcome to the governance update from VLGA Connect. Joining me as always is the Chief of Staff of the VLGA, who's got a lot to answer for, I think, this week. Steve Cooper, hello. Oh, Chris, where do I start? Hello, <laughs> <laughs> right, what, what have I got to answer for today? Well, I think uh, people are starting to talk about potentially the curse of the governance I, update. Um, I know. And look, it's a bit unusual. Pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got to stay on the sports pages because that is where you get the best governance stories. Uh, the second thing is that we are normally of a mind that we like to stay positive. We're not particularly critical, but Justin Langer, the Australian cricket coach, did sort of incur our ire last week for potentially straying outside the boundaries of accountability. And this week there has been um, a bit of commentary about, um, about his future, and we wish him well, but I hope he just doesn't become a victim of the curse of the governance update. I'm sure it all started here, Steve. No one actually thought of those angles until you highlighted them on the governance update. Um, so, yes, watch this space is what you're saying. Um, last night, uh, we had the global executive panel with uh, VLGA and LGIU on community wealth building. Um, can I just talk about the role you played? It was very, very important, driving the slides for our panellists. Got a little bit toey there on a, on occasion, Steve. Oh, Chris, I... <laughs> I think I was more noticeable than I was meant to be. I think that is a role where you should stay in the background, but um, uh, yeah, twitchy finger at times. <laughs> Indeed. But more than one of our panellists was very quick to say, oh, I'm not ready for that slide yet. <laughs> we, like, we like certainty. We think that's a good thing. We do. But what a great discussion. What a great topic. And uh, the panel was just uh, terrific, wasn't it? Oh, Chris, can I just say, um, I think Pat Fencham from SGS, Craig Hatton from North, York, uh, North Ayrshire Council in Scotland and Monica Barone, CEO of Sydney City Council on the topic of community wealth building. And some people, I think, went and didn't quite know what the topic meant. Um, I was in that camp, but it was absolutely fantastic. Congratulations to you too. I think that's part of the, thank you, I think that's part of the challenge, isn't it? And we did talk about that, is, you know, how do we get more... Um, people in local government, and, and, and Pat identified um, it's not so much the elected reps, it's possibly the bureaucrats, understanding what this model actually means. It's, it's not a huge departure, really, from the way we've operated, but it sort of turns the, the thinking and the priorities under a different lens, can I put it that way? Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the things about Monica's presentation was that she took uh, elements of community wealth building that we all already do and turned it, showed how it can be a rigorous process, which was terrific. Can I just go back a step, Chris? And um, I would encourage anyone who didn't, um, who wasn't able to attend last night to jump on to the VLJ website. By the time we publish this, um, uh, this governance update, the recording should be available at a modest cost on that website and it is worth a look at, yeah, so vlga.org.au. Um, in short, for me, it's about uh, how we raise community wealth. I'll be interested in your views in a way that's not by having the same methods of production and procurement and then doing a tax and transfer, but to actually build, build and tap into the inherent capacity of each local community. What did you think? Uh, look, I, I agree. Uh, to me, I, I put it really simply that, you know, we've always talked in local government about economic development, about being about, you know, making making the environment right for business to 
start and flourish without so much thought about what's what type of business what type of jobs fairness equity um quality of of work and employment um all those sorts of issues should be higher up the list of consideration when those decisions are made and that's that's largely what this is about well craig made the point that in north Ayrshire they do have a, a really high level of social disadvantage so optimizing the productive capacity you know having real jobs um procuring from employers who create um jobs you know sustainable jobs in accordance with an award uh, procuring from suppliers who actually source goods and services from inside the municipality or area rather than you know procuring from someone who might be just getting a cut and then spending the majority of the money elsewhere these are actions that are sustainable not short term yeah that whole concept of what is local how do we how do we define that and i love the way Monica Barone links the, the concept with that that's already employed in developing reconciliation action plans, which people are used to doing and have been doing for quite some time. It's not that big a departure in the type of thinking that's required. No, it's in, incredibly simple. But I think, Chris, one of the, this is really worth thinking about um, the Victorian councils in the context that um, each council has to review its procurement plan by 31st of or procurement policy by 31st of December this year. Now, what will we do? We'll send that off to the procurement team who do good work within the scope of their role. So the policy may well um, address internal controls, may well address the, you know, at a high level, the, the processes that we'll go through, you know, may well talk to spend limits, but there is an opportunity to think much bigger about the way that the council does its business. I don't know if this was said during the session or in one of the conversations that was held around the session, but it is leading to the rise of the procurement function. We're entering a new era. Um, were you there for that part of the conversation? I did get that, Chris, but keep going. So um, I just think that's a really interesting observation, a function that perhaps has been a little bit hidden within internal processes really coming to the fore the importance is really being underscored when you when you talk about these these concepts in a way that sort of supports and adds value to the organisation. Can I lurch off onto another theme, Chris? While people are looking at um, global panels that are on the VLGA website, and the the previous panel had been uh, around the topic of child friendly cities, and I was really and I've I've thought about this often since that Angela Scott from um, Aberdeen. Uh, Aberdeen Chair, Aberdeen Council, yes. um, talked about the fact that in Aberdeen, um, that local area had relied on jobs in oil and gas. And as a consequence of jobs in oil and gas in the North Sea nearby, had experienced lower education outcomes than the rest of Scotland. And all of a sudden, those jobs weren't there. And so they've completely had to refocus on how do we create a meaningful life for our young people. But what that's also done has focused the city in the way that it undertakes its decision-making and actually has an orientation more for long-term, you know, impacts on the child are the impacts on the community in the future. So again, these global panels have really provided an opportunity to think outside the square in terms of the way we do business, 
the way we make a difference. And I actually think if you if the leadership of an organisation is able to focus on those big, you know, hairy, important issues, then maybe there's a bit less time spent just squabbling in the fishbowl. Yeah, very well said. Uh, actually, I hadn't thought of it um, quite like that. So you, you're right, Angela Scott is the CEO of Aberdeen City Council, who was on that Child Friendly Cities panel, along with Leanna Buchanan, uh, the, uh, the commissioner from here in Victoria. So thoroughly recommend that to people as well. There's a yeah. theme building there, isn't there, which might not have been intentional, but it's certainly starting to, to look that way. Look, it is. And actually, if I go off on an editorial frolic, Chris, that we haven't talked about, I will. Um, one of the things that was really interesting about um, Angela's presentation was that in Scotland, they have a commissioner for the child, is a state appointee. So what it means is the state has recognised that it is a signatory to a UN convention and it will put steps in place to make sure that, you know, down to a local level, it will honour that convention. So that commissioner has the power, like an ombudsman, to do own motion investigations or to respond to complaints if agencies don't act in accordance with um, those global commitments that have been made. And that's um, that's a concept maybe we want to think about uh, in the way that we manage government in Australia. And, and look, before we move on, just going back to what I was saying before about the rise of the procurement professional, I want to send a shout out to Ben McLaughlin, who uh, is the procurement coordinator at Colac Otway Shire Council. And uh, he's doing some terrific work at the moment on pulling together uh, information about CEO financial delegations. He started with Victoria. He's going national. I notice it's generating a lot of interest, unsurprisingly, in hindsight, um, on LinkedIn. So well done to Ben. Really looking forward to seeing the picture that that paints uh, on a national basis. Yeah, I think you've just given me some homework, Chris. I'm going to get, do a bit of an investigation as to what Ben's doing. Excellent. All right. Well done. Keep that up, uh, Ben. Looking forward to seeing that uh, play out. Now, um, Steve, there's a bit of news around. Firstly, let's go back to uh, an outcome from last week's program where we talked about uh, the inspectorate moving uh, to seek a, a VCAT um, uh, order to, yeah. to have a councillor stand down. Um, your army of uh, viewers out there uh, have been doing some homework. Oh, absolutely, Chris. So we won't um, go back down that particular path we went last week but can I give a shout out to Sean Mulcahy who did some terrific research and posted on my um, Twitter account um, a link to the VCAT case involving former councillor Muto at Shepparton uh, which was a really interesting read. Um, so you'll recall Chris we talked about uh, section 229 of the Local Government Act and the ability of the commissioner to make an application to VCAT to suspend a councillor who is subject of charges. There was a former um, provision under the 1989 Act, 29.4, and this particular matter that um, Sean's posted on uh, is the report of VCAT. Now, let's remember, to the rest of my best of my knowledge and belief, uh, VCAT doesn't set precedent, but the, like the high courts do, and, and of course we're not lawyers, Chris. Um, I've heard that. Yeah, I know. Uh, the really interesting part for me was right down the bottom where, and look, each case is separate, so I'll make no comment about Yarra. But in, in the Muto matter, um, the commissioner said that they would be influenced by the extent to which the offence impacts on the role of the councillor to perform that role of councillor. Now, given that the charges that the Shepparton councillor was facing related to attempted blackmail of a council officer, 
who we know, um, the, it would have been, very, as the Commissioner said, it would have been very difficult to draw the conclusion that the charges didn't relate to the role of councillor and, and may well have been influenced by that. So that was interesting. It and thanks again to Sean. Yes, thank you, Sean. Um, and that officer in particular is is now CEO in the sector, if I'm if I'm uh, remembering correctly. I believe you are. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that's that. I've got a few things on my list here to tick off in terms of news updates, uh, Steve. Um, we've been um, on and off sort of watching this class action uh, in relation to JLT. And there's uh, a separate one in New South Wales as to Victoria. I think you've got a little bit of news on the timing of those matters. Oh, look, Chris, all I, all I know and can say is that some people might have been expecting that the Supreme Court of Victoria would hear that matter this week for a variety of reasons that has apparently been deferred, but there is a related matter proceeding in the Supreme Court of New South Wales. So anyone that's interested in that matter might watch the goings on in New South Wales because they might influence what happens in Victoria. Uh, indeed, all right. And that's been going on for quite some time. Um, we also talked last week about uh, a bit of frustration around the sector more broadly, nationally really, about uh, what appears to be a lack of acceptance that local government could play a stronger role in the vaccine rollout. Uh, you've had a bit of mail which sort of puts that in some context, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I did reach out to someone who I would think knows about these things. And my source said, um, yeah, and I, I'm sorry, before I get to my source, I was like you wondering why on earth uh, aren't local governments involved because I know with the councils I've been involved in that councils run really effective public vaccination services. Now, the reason is that the rollout was managed at a federal level, um, but in the way that the rollout was managed between the federal, the federal government and the states, um, it was influenced by the fact that in New South Wales and Queensland, local government has very little involvement in immunisations. Those are mainly done by GPs or state clinics. And so from the get-go, the federal government wanted a standard plan for all states to follow. Therefore, the Victorian model with local government fell outside the standard, I guess. Um, and yeah, so for that reason, I think what you've seen, in fact, particularly in the last few weeks, is a number of councils being involved in provision of um, town halls or community centres, for example, for um, that GP or, or community health vaccine rollout to take place in the venues, but to not be directly involved. Yes, we've seen that in Wyndham. We've seen that in some other parts of Melbourne. We've seen that just in the past week in uh, in Sydney, in Inner West, where they've mm. moved to make town halls available, as you say, as uh, vaccine hubs. A bit of frustration expressed about delays from other levels of government in, in getting those sorts of facilities up and running. I, I, it still needs to be said, though, that the the Australian uh, Local Governance Association, uh, the president particularly, uh, Linda Scott, has been pushing the line that if local government had a seat at national cabinet, it could be contributing more uh, and, and helping a more smooth uh, conduct of that process. Absolutely. More and earlier. Chris, it says for me too, federalism's a topic and anyone seriously working in local government understanding the impact of federalism on matters like this, on how federal and state government roll out government grants, the relationships between the levels of government, uh, I just think are core competencies for anyone working as a leader in our sector. 
In another matter that's on foot announced this week, uh, the Victorian Ombudsman has announced a probe into the EPA's decision-making processes with regard to the spoil from the Westgate Tunnel. Have you caught up with that? I did hear that, Chris. I thought that was really interesting because and as much as I know is that the EPA made a decision which was subject to a court action and following the release of that court action, the EPA then went away and made another decision and as a consequence of that other decision, uh, the Ombudsman's now um, done what I presume is an own notion investigation. Yes, I think that sums it up well. And there's obviously been complaints and concerns raised. So there's enough there that the Ombudsman said, OK, we need to look uh, more closely at what transpired. Well, it might be yeah, a complaint. So Sorry, Chris, it might be a complaint driven, not an own motion investigation, but there you go. Anyway. Indeed. So we'll wait and see what comes of that. But I thought that was worth noting. Mm. Um, I would also like to know, we often like to talk about CEO appointment news. Um, the CEO of Adelaide has now been appointed permanently. Claire Mockler, the former deputy, has been acting in the role, I think, since around the start of the year, confirmed this week as the CEO of Adelaide. By my calculation, um, I think this is terrific. We've got now four capital city CEOs who are women and uh, Vic Queensland and North, uh, Northern Territory are men. And of course, um, our former colleague Kelly Grigsby is one of those down in Hobart. So I think that's a bit of a milestone, isn't it? Yeah, well done, ticks for local government. And I'm um, not sure if it was publicly or not, but I did hear last night that the Sydney City Council, in fact, I think Monica Barone did say it publicly, uh, in terms of their metrics around women in leadership roles um, has uh, bridged both the pay gap and the numbers gap in terms of appointment of women. So can be done. Yeah, that was in the on the live global panel session. You're right to note that, which was... Um really interesting and um, commendable. All right. Uh, I think that's all. That's all I had on my list. Steve, did you have anything else? No, my list is now bare, Chris. I think, so we I think might we're be done. done. Excellent. All right. Thank you. You go and have a nice weekend and I'll talk to you next week. I'll get back to the sports pages. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Indeed. Steve Cooper, the Chief of Staff of the VLGA. That's another governance update in the can. Thank you for your company. We'll see you again soon. Bye for now.